Hey guys, what's up? It is week 214. Uh, don't have any updates for you. Just have some questions, comments, concerns, all that stuff. And of course, some reviews. So let's hop into this. So I was interested in this one back when it came out in 2012. Somehow I missed it. Didn't see it. It's kind of a bummer. But hey, I'm finally catching up now. And this is The Sleeper. And this was kind of like big in the early like odds, I odd tens or whatever the fuck you want to call them. Um, they, there was like a big renaissance of doing 80s. And the 80s stuff is still coming back, right? There's still a lot of people doing you know the 80s style. It's very popular. The 80s never really died out in terms of entertainment and memorabilia, all that kind of stuff. So uh, this one is a sleeper from 2012. And this is uh, made by the director of, I think, Death Stop Holocaust, which is actually, I remember, a pretty kind of solid throwback to 70s grindhouse, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, kind of murderous backwoods family stuff if i remember it's been a while so what this one here is a sleeper now this is put out by what is it uh dread no this is uh i believe it is oh geez it's scream team releasing which put out a lot of decent stuff and they do a lot of indie movies and everything like this and this is one of their first kind of releases there so um sleeper Okay, so this is a throwback to 1981, or does it take place in 79 originally, and then it jumps to 81, if I'm not mistaken, which is perfect, because of course I'm doing 1981 as we speak, and seeing a lot of slasher films. Now, right off the bat, the first one I noticed this to is mostly likely Black Christmas, you know? It tries to do that formula where we have, like, the sorority girls, and it has, uh, it tries to establish decent characters. Um, sometimes they don't always work, you know, they're not horrible, but they're at least attempting to establish characters, which is more than a lot of, you know, kind of throwbacks would do are sometimes a lot of the throwbacks are so um, letting you know that hitting you over the head like this is like the 80s right this one doesn't do it too bad I think that it's fairly you know legit or tries to be legit like it, it you know it depending on how, how successful it is so what happens here is we have a mad slasher and it's not really kind of a you know mystery who the killer is it doesn't kind of do that deal but he makes phone calls and every time he makes a phone call that person ends up kaput uh and what i'll say about this is the kill count is really high you know i think it's in the double digits and you know a lot of slasher films don't really ever get that high in kill counts there's a handful you know i believe friday 13th part four probably does and you know uh, there's a couple that get ridiculous sleepaway camp two and three have really high body counts but this one you know it, it's pretty high and they're all fairly established characters except a couple so uh of course there's a, a cop uh kind of angle at it which this again what reminds me of black christmas right because in that one we have you know john Saxon and the other cops and kind of spend a lot of time with them kind of being involved with the girls who are being threatened and there's whole of course like a pledge thing going on the main character and her friend are attempting to pledge to the sorority and they have a kind of a butting of heads and ideology and stuff like that but uh you know they are taking their time to establish some of the characters um by doing this and they do a decent job the the look of it is is good too you got to think this movie is made on a budget and uh, looking at his other film I, I remember that one kind of capturing that stuff as well now i hope i'm not a complete idiot and i'm completely wrong about this i hope i'm not wrong about that stop holocaust but i remember digging that one right um so like I'm, I'm looking at this and like there's some things i really like some things i don't care for and that's mostly just you know the acting ranges some is pretty solid some is you know indie acting and that's a wide variety what you're going to get here. And that can always be, you know, ascertained too. Maybe they had to ADR it. Maybe this uh, dialogue wasn't as well written for this character. It ranges, you know. And I don't like picking out certain actors unless it's, you know, a huge movie or something like that. Um, or somebody was egregiously bad or something. Uh, so, egregiously 
Well, I mean, Dave, you're not that smart. Stop using big words. But uh, so, so you know what I mean. Uh, a- anyways, the killer in the film is genuinely scary. You know, he's always saying stuff like "good night," "go to bed," "go to sleep," that kind of thing. He has this weird obsession with putting people to sleep. You know, obviously. A... But his eyes—he almost has like the blind eyes, the beyond eyes. You know, the sentinel eyes, those blue, kind of pale. I've seen some shit, kind of that haunted me and changed me eyes. And that's a nice touch to it. Um, there is some nudity, as you would expect to an '80s throwback slasher. Um, more you you would expect the nudity more in a throwback than you would sometimes in the actual movies themselves back in the 80s um but yeah and, and the special effects are solid you know and the kill counts high and they establish characters and they wipe uh, wipe a lot of them out if not almost all of them so I, I would recommend the sleeper you know i thought this was pretty solid pretty entertaining stuff well done uh made on a budget too so um i don't know if this guy says what ty west uh did oh i know that guy jason high knight he's a good guy <laughs> work with jason so uh ty what ty west did for the 70s Justin Russell has done for the 80s. Those are bold statements. I don't know if I'd go that far, but, you know, it, it is indeed something that you should check out, especially if you like slashers. I don't love the movie. I like it. I think it's pretty solid. But, uh, yeah, I, I think it's more like Black Christmas than the 80s slashers, and that's 74, but it does have some of the tinge, too. Maybe, like, Dorm That Drip Blood is in there. Uh, um, Pledge Night was late 80s, right? 89. That movie's ridiculous. I'm thinking of Pledge slasher things. There's one made um, probably around this time, too, called Frat House Massacre, maybe a little before, that Synapse put out. And that was a lot of fun. Now, a lot of times when I'm referencing movies I haven't watched that were from this time era that I haven't watched in 15, 20 years, you know, sometimes stuff doesn't hold up. But uh, maybe watch this with Frat House Massacre, a double feature, and get back at me on The Sleeper. There's some special features here. Director's commentary. Shooting a Nightmare in 13 Days. Hour-long featurette. Theatrical trailers. Joe Bob's drive-in total. Joe Bob does have a cameo. Um, Lost trailer series. Don't go in the attic. Motion menus and chapter selections. So check it out. This is a Blu-ray DVD combo. Okay, this next one here is from Radiance Films, and they've been making a name for themselves, putting out a lot of good quality stuff. And this is uh, Yakuza Graveyard, and not to be confused with what Yakuza Law and uh, this director's other work. Um, this director here, I'm going to make sure I say his name right, um, Kinji Fukasaku. And you know what's funny is he's actually one of the directors I probably cover the most on my channel. He did the Battles Without Honor and Humanity, the new Battles Without Honors and Humanity, Cops vs. Thugs, um, tons of these kind of you know Yakuza 70s movies that have that gritty kind of great look to them that were pretty influential on later day films especially other Yakuza movies from Japan but uh, I just love how 70s Japanese movies look or even early 80s hell they they look, they look great up until like the early 2000s Japan for some reason didn't follow until maybe some of the do it the direct-to-video stuff looked a little shaky but I like that stuff too Japan's like look of their film seemed to stay that way for a longer time but you know it's different studios and uh the big major ones like toei and toho and stuff like this i believe this is a toei and i don't want to mess that up but so 1976 and i hadn't watched one of these in a while they put out another one recently big gambling boss um uh, another yakuza flick and that was really good um so radiance films is, is kind of cherry picking these you know these uh japanese yakuza films and putting them out so this one I, I, I think I dug more than Big Gambling Boss. Maybe around the same. Maybe they're about the same quality of film, but this one's more up my alley. So we're following this cop who has ties with the Yakuza, and he's a violent cop. He's, he's had some like incidents where he shot a Yakuza uh, you know, a person, and maybe rightfully so, maybe not. You know, you just His superiors weren't happy with it, is what you kind of get. And this guy is kind of mingling in with these different crime families, and what we find out is, like, in Japan, uh, during this in this film at least, you know, the, the cops are in direct connection with the the crime families and they want to keep peace they don't want a crime war so they're kind of in constant communication a lot of the cops are in these different families pockets it's very complicated it's very different right so uh, there's that kind of thing going on all the time 
with the with the cops and everything. And uh, the lead guy here, uh, the lead character, he starts to get involved with a certain gang. Um, after he beats up somebody, he gets involved with this like kind of pit boss. It's a real bruiser, and they they have a, a, a couple run-ins. But what eventually happens is he falls for an imprisoned gang members or kind of like sub boss's wife. And they start to hang out and, and just develop this bond. They get drunk together. And this cop starts spiraling out of control. At one point, he gets called into his superiors. And the superiors are literally going off a list of things that he did. And you're just like, yeah, I, you're not registering how much of the shit he broke. Uh, a law and like conduct and all this stuff. And you're like, I guess he did do all that shit. It's pretty intense. So like he's literally getting in trouble for all this shit. And um, you're just like, uh, you know, it's just going to come to a bad end. But what I really liked about this was it was a good thing that they show loyalty and brotherhood within the Yakuza. How they've signed and they, they go together and all that stuff. And that worked really well. Um, and the ending is pretty powerful. And again, it's funny, like within the police, within the crime families, there's bureaucracy and bullshit and not everyone has to follow the same rules. That's a very, very much in a theme in a lot of movies that feel like they're almost male driven in the seventies. Right. Like I said, I just talked about convoy busters where you're just kind of fucking stuck. Or even if you look at cross of iron, it's bureaucracy everywhere you look in the police department in the crime families in war. It's just a lot of red tape. A lot of shit, a lot of people not having to follow the same rules. Um, and, and that's just kind of a 70s thing in general. Well, it's everywhere, it's been forever, but 70s kind of tackled a lot of movies like this. So Yakuza, um, Yakuza Graveyard. So, so like this character in here, the lead guy is in a bunch of these movies. You'd recognize him. And there's some really great fights. There's shootouts. You know, of course, those crowded street shootouts where they have the headlines cut, slammed. This is very much like the new battles without honor and humanity. And it also stars uh, Lady Snowblood herself as you know the kind of love interest but she's a really unique character there's a point where she gets intoxicated and she kind of spills her guts who she is you find out who she is she's she's half korean and she just doesn't belong anywhere and that's like a lovely there's a lot of good character moments in here that characters just kind of you know spew their guts out these kind of monologues and you know i guess they would be you know exposition but they don't feel like it they feel like genuinely great character moments. And uh, yeah, this is a really solid film. It looked good. It sounded good. Yakuza Graveyard. There's features on here as well. We have uh, Appreciation by filmmaker Kazuga Shirashi, The Blood of the Wolves and The Rage of Passion. A new video essay. That's the director did that. But then we have A Rage of the Passion, a new visual essay by Tom Mez on Miko Kaju and uh, Kinju Futsako's collaboration. So we kind of talk about the films that they did together. I think there's like three or four at the very least. And then we have commissioned artwork by uh, Tomorrow. So yeah, anyways, uh, happy with this release. A good flick. I would recommend checking it out for sure. Okay, the next one here is an Arrow video, and this is Warriors 2. And this is the second film that Sammo Hung directed, and this is for Golden Harvest, of course. Now, Sammo Hung, if you guys don't know him, he's directed a bunch of martial arts films. He stars in a bunch of martial arts films. He's kind of a national treasure, a big deal in Hong Kong, um, a big guy, uh, very flexible, does a lot of stuff, and he's well-respected. He's well-beloved in here. So, essentially, what we have here is, like, uh, he's not the main star, but he's, he's supporting uh, one of the main stars. But it's called Warriors 2, so we have this character who gets uh, witnesses, uh, unveils a murder plot basically of a mayor 
and he's trying to stop it, and uh, the mayor is killed, and he is the only witness, so he has to go in hiding. He's hurt, he's badly uh, damaged and everything like that, so during his recovery, he is taken in by kind of uh, a master, if you will. It's very typical, you know, somebody that knows a special martial artist, and this master basically tells him, I'll protect you, and he protects him against the evil guy trying to, you know, take over the, the town and village and his goons. When the main goons are one with a spear, one who has some sort of, like, iron chest, and one, uh, I, I don't necessarily certainly know the other one's power but he's got long hair and they're all just mean bruisers you typical kind of you know villains in these you know kung fu movies so what happens is uh he basically somehow tricks this master into teaching him you know he didn't want to teach him for revenge you know obviously for protection but this master ends up teaching him along with you know Sammo Hung and a a couple other students and what happens is Sammo Hung's kind of a local kind of goofball you know always getting ripped off trying to sell fish in the market fish balls just it's just kind of a goofy kind of laughable character but he's also a badass which is kind of Sammo Hung's MO right you know he's kind of like your your lovable goof that can whoop your ass at the same time you know but he's going to take a couple bumps on the way uh so so basically what happens is these villains keep hyper focusing on this guy and over many many training sessions he actually starts to get it down along with Samuel Hong and, you know, the um, niece, I would imagine. But then when you talk about Asian films, they call everybody uncle. It's, it's more of a, a sense of respect. But I actually think that this is her uncle in this one. And, and they're all just like kind of karate masters or kung fu masters. I should say karate. Karate is Japanese, if I'm not mistaken. And this is not. So uh, basically the villains attack, of course, and there's going to be even some, some more revenge. Revenge, revenge, right? So uh, they, they uh, make this elaborate plan. And I, will, I won't go into complete details. It's not super elaborate, but it's, it's it's very run-of-the-mill but there's one part of the plan because we have these multiple different fight scenes because of it there's one that takes place with Sammo Hong and the spearmen in the woods and that's the best fight scene in the movie because so much often do you see these take place in inns kind of like a uh, throwback to the classic bar fights you know like John Ford bar fights or whatever you would say in classic westerns they're usually in like this inn or a, a restaurant there's always breaking like glass bottles and tables and it's very typical right of almost any movie but this time what we have here is um, um, in the in the forest in a kung fu movie in a dark in the dark forest so there's like a sense of suspense for sure um but of course you know the hero is going to fight back and surprisingly people die you know and it ends on like a silly note like ah knee slapper but you know it is it, a lot of consequences in this one a lot of characters do bite it um a couple at times are like oh shit I didn't know that person was going to die. I didn't know that person was going to die either. A couple of them for sure. But yeah, this is a good film. I mean, I don't think I've seen a bad Sammo Hung movie directed or starring. But as far as the special features are concerned, there's two cuts on here. We have, of course, the shorter uh, export cut. And then we have the um, HK theatrical cut. The difference is five minutes. Um, We have multiple different languages here. English mono for the export cut. Two choices of English dub audio for the uh, theatrical cut. The original export dub mono with Cantonese patches for missing scenes. And the newer 5.1 dub created for an international DVD presentations and then we have subtitles for the hk cut in english subtitles for deaf and hearing of the export cut commentary in the um, hk theatrical cut by martial arts expert cinema expert frank Jin and actor bobby samuels now bobby samuels knew uh samuel hong he helped um him out in hong kong a lot he's an african-american guy and uh being in hong kong he had an interesting uh look at i I believe he's american born but uh he had an interesting look at you know the the film scene from his point of view and meeting sammo and everything like that so then we also have a commentary and export cut by action cinema experts michael eater and arnie venema archival documentary the way the warrior making warriors 2 featuring interviews with stars sammo hung brian beardy um car y um fang hawk ah casanova wong and wing chung master of guy lao um archival interview with brian beardy um 
original theatrical trailers, double-sided fold-out poster, a whole bunch of stuff here. So, yeah, um, enjoyable movie. I don't think that anybody that dislikes, you know, that likes Simulhong would dislike this one. Um, not my favorite, but still a good one and a good addition from Arrow. Good stuff. Okay, the next one here is an Irish film, right? We don't see too many Irish horror films. Um, there is a handful, though. And this is Unwelcome from WellGo USA. And this is out on Blu-ray, I think, today. It should be out already um, by the time you're seeing this and, and for streaming. So, yeah, this one right here, I did not know much about, except this is definitely going to uh, catch anybody's attention. I bet it was saying this. Like, on the back, it was saying, you know, Gremlins meet Straw Dogs. And I'm like, that is an interesting combo. I love straw dogs. I really like gremlins. I love little creatures. This is totally up my alley. This is definitely made for me. So I was like, but that mixture doesn't seem right. Straw dogs meets gremlins. Let's find out. So what we have here is uh, a young couple. The woman is pregnant. They're struggling in kind of a really terrible place here. You know, a really crumb dumb kind of area in England. And uh, their lives are threatened. The husband seems very he's useless. He's worthless. And the wife gets the, uh, a better hand on one of them, but can't can't pull the trigger and so that you know there's a sense of helplessness sense of you know not being able to put yourself there and that's going to be obviously something that comes in later right any horror movie now somebody has to have a trauma that they have to face like the ritual what was that one they yeah, have to have the face and a lot of the movies will put the trauma in the very beginning right the ritual does it and this one kind of follows the same kind of formula here that there is obviously something there not in the beginning but you see flashes to it and it is alluded to earlier this time so we see it right off the bat what happens is they have a family member die they inherit this strange house in ireland among this small town and everyone seems pretty nice really nice way nicer than the people that you saw in the city so they're kind of relieved but there's some weird superstitious stuff going on as all small towns seem to have in the horror films and they basically tell her you need to feed the little people the red the red caps or they're going to be pissed and they're going to find food elsewhere so she thinks it's a little silly but she says she'll do it out of respect um and, and we kind of learn that these red caps are not uh, a myth pretty quick in the movie when a uh, local drunk is attacked and you kind of see him in the, the shadows and everything like that but uh they hire the local family of kind of criminals low low rent kind of criminals kind of like i don't want to call them criminals necessarily the kids are and it's a father and three kids. And uh, the father's played by Cole Meadley. You'll see him in Under Siege 2. He's in Con Air. He's in a lot of movies. Call me daddy. That's what he says. He wants everybody to call him daddy, which I think is really good character trait. So uh, right away, they kind of clash heads, these two, this couple and this family. They're just not from the same world. They don't have the same principles. The son is a, is a criminal. The daughter and the son smoke weed right in the open, steal their food, all sorts of stuff. And there's one that's kind of a dullard, kind of slow. And he's very big. And what happens is, you know, they start to have like rising, you know, tensions amongst each other. And again, the husband is just kind of a pushover. And this is the theme in the movie for sure. And at one point, you know, something tragic happens and she calls on the Red Caps to help her. And you know what? They do. And we kind of have this whole like, you know, uh, xenophobic kind of thing. These this city versus uh, country folks and thrown in for good measure are some gremlin esque characters. Now they are CGI, but they are mixed with practical. And for the most part, I think they work really well. Hell, how many different movies do you get to see a little creature movie like this? I thought it was pretty entertaining. Gory as shit. Very gory. Um, somebody um, I don't want to spoil it, but somebody takes a real nasty gun wound and it was excellent. Um, and yeah, the, the characters get fucked up it's bloody it's gory it's worth your time and the ending is pretty insane and, and maybe even some woman power maybe possibly there but i thought unwelcome was pretty damn good honestly i would recommend checking this one out i'd probably give it almost seven and a half somewhere on there out of ten I mean, new horror movies you know i haven't had that much luck with a lot of them i haven't hated that many but i think this and candy lantern probably the 
I'd have to look at the list. Uh, maybe probably my favorites of the year so far. I'm not sure. But Candy Lane, I really like. That's totally made for me. But on Welcome, check it out from Wellgo. There's some deleted scenes, bonus features, behind the scenes, making the red caps. That was a cool one. I did watch that. They kind of made all the different little faces and everything like that. And they're funny, too. They can be funny in kind of a weird way. Like, no, no. <laughs> but they're ugly as shit, too. So, yeah, this is fun. I wish they were all practical. But, hey, it is what it is, man. You're lucky you get stuff like this at all anymore. Okay, the next one, I'll be kind of brief with it. Probably going to discuss this at one point on the summer series from the 60s. Um, and this is 1961. Roger Corman directed, Roger Corman produced, Vincent Price starring The Pit and the Pendulum. Yeah, and uh, this is from the first set here. So basically, I was looking back and I was like, I've seen The Haunted Palace. I've seen, you know, House of Usher. I've seen um, The Mask of the Red Death. I've seen a bunch of the Co Corman Poe movies. And I'm like... Twice told tales, tales of terror. And I was like, did I see Pit and the Pendulum? I'm not sure I did, you know? And I saw the 91 one by Stuart Gordon and really liked that movie, although that mixes in the Spanish conquistadores torture aspect, which I like. Um, this one is different. I mean, it stars Vincent Price, as you know. Um, geez, what the hell is his name in this movie? I can't believe I'm going to forget it. But uh, so essentially his wife died, played by Barbara fucking Steele, of all people, you know, a year after Black Sunday. So Mask of Satan uh, by Mario Bava. So that's pretty damn cool. Um, basically, his wife died and um, he's haunted. He's tormented. He's tortured. His sister lives there as well with him or she kind of in and out of the house and there's a doctor that kind of frequents that's a family friend so the brother of you know his brother-in-law shows up and you know we never met i want to see the body i want to see the grave and she says well um the body is in the in the house it's in a tomb in the house and the, do the brother starts pushing really hard for information he's like why didn't i wasn't i informed right away and then the farther he pushes some kind of cracks or exposition stories kind of come out and we learn that you know Vincent Price comes from a long line of, of monsters or just his father was a monster. He used to torture people. Right. Um, and as you find out, there was obviously some uh, marital problems and all this kind of stuff comes to a head and start strange things start to happen around the castle. Right. Haunting. Somebody's moving and, and you think it's a killer. You know, who is it? Is it a ghost? Are they being haunted by Barbara Steele? And, of course, there are some twists and some reveals that are really well done. Vincent Price gets to completely lose his mind, um, and that's always a pleasure. It's always a pleasure to watch Vincent Price anyways, let's be honest, but he's good in this. He's uh, pretty crazy in it and, and entertaining. Um, just really well done. Um, Barbara Steele, uh, the little bit she's in here, she's really good as well. I mean, she's very stunning to look at, very unique, kind of a one-of-a-kind looking person um and then you have other people as well that i was fine with but really um the uh, sister is really good and uh, the flashback stuff is great too so um the torture the pit and the pendulum itself is really really cool uh so so yeah i enjoy this one price gets to play two different roles and kind of have two states of mind in one of the roles uh and i love the opening it's very trippy and very weird right it's got that like weird trippy style like the weird kind of uh, the credits or whatever hell they're still doing credits like that on aip pictures to like 1970 with the Dunwich Horror. It's just like they might have been like, there, we got a hit. Um, and there's an introduction by Vincent Price as well, and there's a, a deleted opening. There's a scene that was probably used for some different versions of, you know, Post um, and a Price's sister being in like the insane asylum or something like that. And I don't know if it's really necessarily or really works, but I enjoyed this one. It's directed by Corman. It is The Pit and the Pendulum. Okay, guys, let's hop into those 1981 movies. Woe be unto him who opens one of the seven gateways to hell. Because through that gateway, evil will invade the world.
say on a Valentine's Day is a curse that'll live on and on. And no one will know as the years come and go of the horror from long time ago. In this little town, when the 14th comes round, there's a silence and fear in the air. Remember the morn that the legend was born, all the shock and the horror was there. Or oh, the legend they say on a Valentine's Day is a curse that'll live on and on. And no one will know as the years come and go of the horror from long time ago. And no one will know as the years come and go of the horror from long time ago. Okay, the first one up is a banger. And this is another werewolf movie from 1981 that's not the Howling and American Werewolf in London. Or even Wolfen. Not a werewolf movie. Or even, um, geez, uh, or even Full time, uh, full Moon High. This is directed by Paul Nashy, and it's one of the uh, later days, kind of like the towards the end of like the major cycle he did of the Vladimir Denzinski werewolf movies from Spain. Now, this is the first one he directed to this series. Paul Nash, he was an actor, a Spanish actor. That's not his real name. His real name is like what? Uh, Molina, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I, I always forget his real name. But anyways, uh, Paul Nash, he was a famous Spanish uh, horror director and actor. He was kind of like their answer to Lon Chaney Jr. He played all the monsters he could. He played a Frankenstein monster, a vampire, you know, a werewolf over nine times. He played Dr. Jekyll and Ho- He plays like eight of them in Howl of the Devil. So Paul Nash, he is kind of like a horror icon not kind of he is a horror icon he's one of the you know the most iconic spanish horror person right so um he got a chance to direct this one and this is the first one he did direct out of the uh you know the uh vladimir denzinski series now um there is a commentary on here with the guys from nashi cast and they go over the history of these werewolf movies the lost one all the way starting from 1968 and ending in like 2004 or something like that by a fred owen ray directed one that they barely consider uh one of the uh official ones but they go into this and they say it's a semi-remake of the 1971 one, Werewolf vs. the Vampire Girl. Um, but yeah, so what we have here is basically Mask of Satan, Black Sunday, right in the beginning. I was like, this is gnarly. And it's 81. But I, what I love about Nashi's movies, even when they got in the later 70s and 80s and stuff like that, he always seemed to hold a love for the Hammer and Universal horror movies, that gothic stuff, which wasn't always in. It wasn't always prevalent in the 80s at all. You know, it started to die out for sure. I mean, in the early 80s, you still have it there, here and there and stuff with the Hammer House of Horse and other things too. And But Nashi just, and he had a movie in 80 as well, Nashi, um, had one uh, human beast um so like it, it's funny to see nashi hold on to that right you know he kept holding on to that like those themes and the gothic stuff and they really work honestly so in the very beginning we have this witch who is put to death um uh it's actually elizabeth bathory you know elizabeth bathory she bathed in the blood of virgins to stay young forever there's a lot of great renditions of that including another spanish film called legend of blood castle by jorge grau and of course the hammer version countess dracula which is really great and they even do it in hostile too right a character bathes in the blood so of a virgin uh, so, so this one, she's basically being put to death right in the very beginning, along with all her minions and her witch friends and her henchmen and Vladimir Vendensinsky, 
who is a cursed werewolf. So all these people are, are put down and we see Vladimir put down in a brutal fashion, blood coming out of his mouth, a, a mask, of course, the mask of Satan put on his face and he's dead. Uh, we have a witch years down the line. I don't remember how many years, modern time, I take it, coming to look, you know, to basically on grave or, or get Elizabeth Bathory out of here and resurrect her. But when she does this, of course, uh, she comes back. She's a vampire. And she starts, you know, biting all the friends, turning everyone. And Vladimir Denzinski wakes up. And, uh, of course, does some, one of her ghouls wakes up. This kind of, like, big hulking, like, uh, armored kind of mummy skeleton thing. So right away they start to, you know, suck the blood of the village. Everyone is, is paranoid and scared. And it's, uh, you know, it becomes kind of a werewolf versus a vampire kind of story here. There's some characters caught in between the girl that works for Vladimir Denzinski with the burnt face is a great character. And uh, he has a love for one of the characters that shows up. And there's all this kind of stuff, of course, with the, the true, only a true love can kill a werewolf kind of deal. You guys all know the Wolfman, where that originated from, right? That wasn't um, in original source material for my mistake. If I'm not mistaken, that originated from, you know, only a true person that loves you could kill you if you're a werewolf so that we have all that stuff going on and i they got to say the gothic atmosphere is through the roof here but what's great is he he brings in all that gothic atmosphere you know the crypts the the vampires the people walking down with the can the candelabras or whatever the fuck they are down the hallways and just beautiful women and and badass people all this kind of great stuff and visuals and stuff but then on top of that he adds in the sex and nudity from the 80s that you guys have grown accustomed to so it's just like it's kind of like i know hammer would mix that in too but i was like i really kind of enjoy these nashy flicks just because you get everything you're looking for in a horror movie i mean i don't need nudity and gore to make a good horror movie and you'll know that from the next one i'm going to talk about but it, it can add in these kind of gothic movies you're not always treated to that kind of stuff so it's a weird mixture and it's a pleasurable mixture nashy mixes them well um, he has good cinematography, he has good score, good acting, um, good special effects, and, you know, good-looking people for the most part. So, anyways, uh, Night of the Werewolf, I really enjoyed this one. The werewolf looks cool, he looks scary. Um, you know, I dig it. I would recommend checking out Night of the Werewolf. And the commentary on here is really good. The um, commentary by the Nashi cast, there's some deleted scenes as well. So, check out Night of the Werewolf. Uh, one of my favorite ones for the first time watched this for 81. I should have seen it a long time ago. I've seen a good amount of Nashi movies, but I've not seen all the werewolf movies. Only a handful. I should really just watch them all. Okay, next up from 1981 is uh, from John Irving, and this is Ghost Story. Now, Ghost Story, right here. It's been a long time since I watched this. This is based off a book by Peter Straub. And this is nearly two hours long. As a bunch of classic actors in here, as well as uh, Craig Watson from the year before he was in um, Schizoid. Yeah, that's right, Schizoid. Um, and he's going go on to be in Nightmare on Elm Street Part 3. But the big names in here are, of course, Melvin Douglas from the previous year's The Changeling, classic actor. And that's great that he continues the ghost movie here. John Houseman, previous year The Fog. Coming in for another ghost story. Then you have Fred Astaire, famous actor, dancer, and uh, Douglas Fairbanks Jr. So you have names that like are, are pretty heavy names. And, and like I'm saying, like of course, John Houseman and Melvin Douglas were in horror films before, just the year before. They kind of seem, all these actors kind of seem to pick their kind of classy things here. Now, like, you could have filled this movie with, like, actors who were or A-listers at one point who became kind of B-listers, right? And went to Italy or went to some country and made a bunch of movies. And I'm not sure these guys ever did. I don't think they did. They don't really feel like it. But they kind of just put, like, you could have put John Ireland and Joseph Cotton in this movie. And not, I love those guys. But, you know, they don't, after you do, or Arthur Kennedy's, after you do so many of these movies, do you kind of, do you lose clout? 
I mean, maybe. I don't fucking know. But it just felt like there was a certain amount of class here. And you needed it for these actors. You needed to have the classy actors in here that have, like, a reputation of maybe being just a little stuffy. But, you know, not always. Not always. Not all of them either. But uh, basically, this follows a story of four gentlemen in the Chowda Society. They get together and tell ghost stories. Um, they're kind of the, the the big parts of the society, you know, stay, uh, you know, um, pillars of the society you have the mayor the doctors and lawyers and they get together and they tell these ghost stories and in the very beginning um craig watson he sees this woman in bed um i actually should mention alice creed's in here too creek from um you know uh, gretel and hansel and of course sleepwalkers she's great in this um so basically there's this woman in bed and he says who are you and he's terrified he gets he falls out a window falls to his death we learn that he has a twin brother and that uh, Dan and, and David, I believe is the name. And the twin brother has to go back to his uh, his small town where Douglas Fairbanks Jr. is his father. And he just knows something's off. He feels haunted by the whole situation. But no one will tell him anything. And these guys are hiding something clearly, you know. And his father ends up dying under tragic circumstances, mysterious circumstances. And these guys don't want to say anything until somebody else dies. And that's kind of when Craig Wazen walks in the Chowder Society and says, I want to join. I want to tell a ghost story to join. And he tells what happened to him. And then we kind of learn who the person in his story is and how they got there and all this kind of stuff. The special effects are great. If I'm not mistaken, I believe Dick Smith did them. I, I'm pretty sure he did. Um, especially, you know, the drowned character is amazing. And there's also these kind of two mentally ill people that escaped a, a mental institution that are kind of running around doing the bidding of this haunting, you know, this haunted, uh, this haunting, this ghost. But uh, yeah, this is a really well-made movie. Like it's so, it's just classy. I don't know how to go about it. You know, like this is this year's Changeling. It's not as good as the Changeling, but it, it's on the caliber of something like that, where it's just well acted, well directed, good storytelling, just a classy ghost story, and um, I think it's done right. It's not like I said, the Changeling is a better movie because George C. Scott is a powerhouse. And that movie, I just think, is just done better. Um, but this is a good movie, and I was impressed with it. And when I was a kid, you know, you're watching Ghost Story, you're like, this is boring when you're 10 years old. You don't really, you lose interest. You want to see Ghost. You want to see, you know, I, although some movies kept my attention. Who knows why? This one did so much when I was first saw it. But revisiting it for 81, yeah, I'm like, this is a really solid film with a good story. And it keeps you intrigued. I don't know how much playback value it has. Maybe it has a lot. Maybe it has a little. Listen to a little bit of the commentary of John Irving, and he seems kind of like, I don't want to say Peter Greenaway, because now that commentary, he's a very educated man you know john irving seems like he's interested in a lot and he knows a lot and he you know he likes to learn and he mentions wanting to work, do work more in this subgenre right of horror movies and i like that i really do i appreciate that kind of stuff so ghost story um it's a good one it's a blu-ray from screen factory you have audio commentary with the director john irving new interviews with author peter straub actress alan creek screenwriter lawrence d cohen producer bert weisbord and a matt uh photographer bill taylor it's pretty cool. The matte photography looks really great. Although you can tell it's a matte painting. I like that. So yeah, Ghost Story. Check it out. I think you will not be disappointed if you like ghost stories. The next one up here from 1981 is Saturday the 14th. And this is directed by, um, was it, uh, Howard Cohen? Um, and I believe that he had some sort of connection to Spin City. Um, Second City, Spin City. Jesus, Second City, with a lot of comedians and everything like that. Chicago area deal. This is produced by Roger Corman and Julie Corman. You know, it's a New World Pictures Skyrim New World Pictures at the time. And, you know, this is a horror parody. It has people that you recognize like Jeffrey Tabor, Richard Benjamin, some other faces, of course. Um, so, yeah, um, uh, not the only horror comedy of the year. You got Full Moon High and a parody as well. And, of course, you know, Student Bodies. 
I'm going to let you in on a secret here. I know people like Saturday the 14th, but I prefer student bodies a million times more, and I even prefer Full Moon High. I know that's probably blasphemy. So basically what we have here is Jeffrey Tambor and his wife of 211 years or 300 years are waiting to get this house because they're looking for an artifact in this book. This book is supposed to raise monsters. So basically this family inherits, you know, this house after their aunt dies or their uncle, whoever it is, they inherit this house and um, they, they're ready to move in. And right away, the kid finds the book. He brings back a bunch of goofy monsters and shenanigans ensue. The problem here is everybody plays it straight, which I think they should do, but they also play it incredibly dumb. Everybody is so dumb, but they're playing it straight. And you know, you're not Leslie Nielsen. It's not going to work. I don't know. It's just not, doesn't work for me. And the monsters are goofy and zany. The tonal stuff is off. The humor doesn't work for me. I didn't laugh once. I appreciate that you have about 10 different monsters in the movie, but they're all really bad suits. Like, I'm seeing their eyes, like, not their eyeballs. I'm seeing like this, like underneath their eye, their skin, a lot. And one of the masks looks like the mask that they, the suit that they used in Ghoulies 2 when they try to get the big ghoulie to come out and eat the, 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 the bomb. That's the suit, the bomb suit is, is what's in here at one point. I mean, like, it's just, there's a couple monsters that look great and the rest are just crummy, crummy, crummy. But you're not really in it for the monsters, you're in it for the humor. Of course, Van Helsing shows up and he's supposed to get the bets out of the Belfry. Um, yeah, he's ridiculous and I don't know what the fuck he's doing. He's not very funny. Um, Jeffrey Tabor is a great actor. Doesn't have much to work with um, here, to be honest. I don't think anybody really does. Benjamin's in a lot of movies. I don't think the acting's poor. I think the script is poor. I think the gags are poor. Humor is very subjective, and this ain't funny to me. Didn't laugh once. Didn't find any humor in it. Felt like um, there's obviously some shout-outs to certain movies and, and literature, and the subtitles are terrible. Um, at one point, he's like, the, the vampire couple is arguing, and he's like, and she's, he's like, you're not going to bring that Harker girl up again, are you? Obviously making reference to, you know, Dracula, you know, is it? Yeah, so they, the subtitles say Hooker girl. It's like, so obviously who's doing the subtitles has no frame of reference for horror movies, period, or horror, or horror literature, whatever, man. It's, it is what it is. It's done by AI system and not corrected someone, maybe. I don't know, but it's Saturday the 14th. I guess I'm lucky to get subtitles. Not a fan. It's not the worst thing ever, but I just did not find it funny. And if, if the comedy's not funny, it's not very good, right? Um, so new interview with producer Julie Corman, which I enjoyed, you know, she's cool. I mean, she fucking produced a million movies and is married to Roger Corman. How, she can, how could she not be cool? Next up is a Patreon pick, and Jonathan Wilhelm said, Pick any Vinegar Syndrome release that you haven't seen. So I decided to go with A Dark Tower from 1989, uh, starring Jenny Gutter and, of course, uh, Michael Moriarty. I feel like I'm, oh, oh, a fucking Kevin McCarthy is in this bad boy. Am I missing anyone here? Uh, Theodore Bickle is really good as well, as, as Carol Lyon, Lindley is in here too. So it's got a great cast, right? Um, this is one of these movies where it's like, Americans building these buildings, these skyscrapers in other people's countries. Happens to be on evil from 1980 with john saxon right it's like oh i'm gonna go here and help him build this place yada 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 there's always that story right like a rich architect or a, a hotshot architect is helping build these buildings in different countries i think this one takes place in spain and michael moriarty is uh kind of like a, a company detective he's hired by the company um uh geez kevin mccarthy is kind of a weirdo kind of occult guy along with uh, the bickle and their friends and they are called in for some obvious reasons towards the end of the movie. Jenny Gutter is the architect. Jenny Gutter is an American War in London. You guys would recognize her. Um, so basically what we have here is, um, yeah, we have a haunting. So we're having these weird things happen in this dark, this tower. Right off the bat, um, so a person falls off a scaffold 
um, while they're painting. One of those kind of ones that's like goes up and up. They fall. They seem to be committed suicide. It's very strange. But uh, then we have a, a night watchman disappear, die in the elevator, and then a shooting, which is kind of really brutal and crazy. And all the while, Michael Moriarty's having these flashes and these incognitive weird shit going on. Uh, and, and Jenny Gutter seems terrified. So he starts to kind of push on her and he brings in psychics and you kind of learn the history and the past of what happened and who's doing it. And we learn that it's her husband and uh, we, we do find out why um, it's an okay movie. It's an okay story, a mystery. Um, now the shooting was pretty intense. The special effects aren't amazing. Um, towards the end, the, the, the ghost reveal, he looks really cool. I like that. Um, the only uh, interview on here is with a special effects artist, which is kind of sad because this movie had a really troubled production from my understanding. Originally, Freddie Francis was directing this and something happened where he dropped out and Ken Wienerhorn took over. Ken Wienerhorn directed stuff like Eyes of a Stranger, Shockways, Return of the Dead Part 2. So it's really weird. I mean, Freddie Francis was one of the greatest cinematographers doing stuff like The Innocence, and he, of course, directed Tales from the Crypt and a million other great films. Uh, uh, Gurley, uh, uh, what's it, Trog? He did Trog for 1970. But I'm just saying, like, it's strange, and, like, there's no features on here, which kind of bums me out. Picture quality looks great and sounds great. Um, it is a low-budget uh, horror film. It's okay. I didn't hate it. I'm glad I got to watch it. But uh, yeah, it's they put the directed by Ken Barnett, which is a, kind of a, a pseudonym, obviously, and a mixture of two directors. But Vinegar Syndrome, Vinegar Syndrome did a good job with it. Um, it's just not the best movie, but it's solid. And Michael Moriarty is a very bizarre actor, and I always like what he does, man. He's in a lot of Larry Cohen stuff, like the stuff, and Cue the Winged Serpent, and It's Alive 3. He's in everything, uh, Return to Salem's Lot. Very good actor, very different actor for sure, but this is Dark Tower. There we go. Jim Van Beber. Brilliant as expected. I love your updating of the 80s horror film retrospective. In a perfect world, you'd be able to throw in all the fantastic bush shots from the ladies like the in initiation, etc., etc. I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, like, honestly, YouTube does not like anything. Like, I got in trouble for the devil's honey. If you can mark it like adult, um, there's like straight up porn on here. And then, like, you show like a boob or something or like a, a, a dick and then you're done. Uh, Samurai Otato Animations. That wall of movies scare me. Why? Uh, Pop Culture Massacre. Dig the stash, Dave. Thank you. Uh, Dylan Johnson, is 22 shots coming back? No idea. Um, Eddie Daniels, another great update. I've been watching you for years now, and you're still one of the, my most engaging people on YouTube. You look great, especially in a tank top. Just a little flex over there. Thank you. Uh, Jimmy the Lip 2.0, Killer Stash, Mr. Parker, Dirty Cop, No Donut. If you ever watch the uh, CGI, that movie, I meant the movie with the commentary, uh, Joel D. Weinkoop carries his gag on where he's like, that's not me, it's CGI. It's the funniest gag I've ever heard. Nick Mua, I second the stash. I'm getting Frank Zappa vibes. Thank you. Zach Nolan, hope to see The Haunting of Julia review soon. I asked about that years ago, but I know you like it better when movies get the Blu-ray treatment. One of my absolute favorites. Yeah, I definitely want to check it out. Nick Mua, loved The Seventh Seal when I first saw it years ago. Your review made me appreciate it all the more I heard. There's a new release featuring a Cat Ellinger commentary. I'll have to look into that. Uh, questions. Uh, would you agree that there's some similarities between The Seventh Seal and Roger Corman's Mask, uh, Mask of the Red Death? Allegedly, Mr. Uh, Bergman drew at least some inspiration from the post-short story. I mean, there is, right? It involves death, and your time's up, your time's up, right? You're going to have a game uh, with death. I, I do think I do think there is a similarity, and there's the plague going on through the, the whole entire thing. Yeah, I mean, I imagine the seven C... Uh, Poe is one of the most influential writers of all time. He's the most influential whole writer of all time. Um, what would you do if you encountered the Grim Reaper? Die. Do you feel the Hollywood writers are doing the right thing by striking? Listen, I'm not a Hollywood writer. I don't live in Hollywood. I don't have any insider information for you, so I don't fucking know. But hey, if you if you got a union and you don't think you're being treated well, 
um, the for the reasoning they have, yeah, I mean that makes sense. If they literally think AI is going to take away all their jobs and all their art and just recreate it, I, I can understand why they would strike. But again, I'm not in Hollywood. I don't know. I don't have any of the information. I don't know their fucking contract. I don't know what they offered them. You know what I mean? That's such a weird question. It's like everybody has an opinion on it, but they don't have any of the details. I, don't, I, I mean, I don't have all the details either, so I don't really... I mean, if you want to strike, don't strike. I mean, they just took a union vote, and I mean, I voted no uh, on our contract. But, you know, it is what it is, you know. Uh, Till next week, will you grow a Fu Manchu stash eventually? No. Unless I get paid for it. Ken Coakley, I saw the Seven Seals a double feature with Harold and Maude at a cemetery. The cemetery is where my grandfather and uncle I was very close to are buried. The screen was set up in a large grassy area. I saw on a small ledge and, a, uh, and my back was against a tombstone. That made me feel real kind of guilty. As for the film, it kind of works as a horror film. Uh, death comes across as a ghost or demon. Also, the iconic Dance of the Dead was eerie. I didn't take the film as a swipe against Christianity, but again, I haven't seen it in some time. As a Christian, I also have thick skin. I mean, you got to have thick skin nowadays. Uh, my second favorite Bergman was The Virgin Spring, which was remade as Last House on the Left. The Virgin Spring was also the most disturb- more disturbing because a young boy was involved and the father of the murdered girl had to delay his revenge because he was trying to decide whether or not to kill the boy it's pretty rough um here's a wild it reminds me of bad lieutenant right when Kaitel catches those guys they're pretty young but that whole part's pretty insane here's a wild fact max von Sydow played the played jesus in the greatest story ever told a priest in the exorcist and the exorcist to the heretic and played the devil in needful things he was also a self-avowed atheist oh okay when filming the greatest story ever told jimmy farrow played thaddeus was getting married in a nearby church most of the cast attended including Sydow. They had to wear their costumes because they were on break. The pastor was shaking, uh, shaking. Far asked the pastor if he's okay. The pastor nodded to side uh, out. He dressed as Jesus and said, I'm fine. I just had, never had to work in front of the boss before. Wasted time to control shop. What game would you ask death to play? Mm. WWF, no mercy for Nintendo 64. I think I can take death in that. Um, Collectivist TV, Dave. Have you seen the Planet uh, CHS video covering the history behind uh, Return of the Living Dead and Necropolis? No, I should watch that because I'm interested in those movies, why they suck so bad. Um, And I don't think it was even the writers or directors of those movies because the writer probably didn't even make what it was. I think it's like a producer. Um, Way up, dude. First, face, blue, smiling face, blue, smiling face. Okay. Um, Robert uh, Purdham Jr. I'm a huge fan of the Boogans. I also have the VHS. The lead actress, Rebecca Balding, also did Silent Scream. They mentioned that in the commentary a few years back. She had a couple of cool horror gems in her early career. Unfortunately, she just passed away last July. That's sad. R.I.P. Dan the Cameraman. Um, Dave, I have two questions. Please answer truthfully. Have you ever considered making videos at ASMR with your sexy voice? Absolutely not. Um, are you a fan of SawCon? I don't know what SawCon is. Didn't look it up. Sorry. Um, Ken Coakley. I like the Boogans, but they should have given the film another title. Back in the early 80s, a stand-up comedian did a, a bit about the film. He said he would try to pay someone to get his ticket because he was too embarrassed to say the Boogans. It sounds too much like the Boogers. A fair warning to fellow animal loves out there. A dog gets killed. That pissed me off. I still give it an A-. minus. The dog's death affected the score. As for Shanghai Joe, Spaghetti Western regular Piero Luali was uh, Louis was ca- part of the cast. He also co-starred in The Forgotten Pistolero, a, straw- a film I strongly recommend. One last thing. I like the porn star mustache. LOL. It looks good on you. I couldn't let that go by. My brother Saad the same- said the same thing to me when I had one. Thank you. And you take care, Ken. Um, yeah, I don't really have any uh, stuff to show in an update because, like I said, breaks, 1,200 hours, you're not buying DVDs. But I do have some stuff coming probably at the end of the month from Vinegar Syndrome, and then I'll probably grab a couple here and there. Uh, you know, work is picking up, and 
So it is what it is. So you guys take care. All right, guys. Thank you very much for watching. And as always, have a good one. Meh.